Uh, thank you. Well, this week we're um, doing, uh, looking at the Word, and Ron has asked you to speak on the Bible, so I could be here, we could be here a while. But I um, really, my, my desire and passion is that you will read the Bible every day. And the question is, really, what's stopping you? What's, what are you waiting for? So, really, uh, what I'd like to do is give a few reasons, and um, what better than to let the Bible speak for itself? And so I'm going to look at Psalm 19, what C.S. Lewis called the greatest poem in the Psalter. Psalm 19, and we'll do a little Bible study on just a portion of this. If you haven't a Bible, don't worry. Is it going to come up? There you go. We're going to do the middle verses, but we'll read it all. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The Lord the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping, their, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Let's pray this. Let me pray this last prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, there are many reasons why we would come to church on a Sunday morning to worship primarily what we've done wonderfully and to fellowship together, but also to get some answers for life. Why are we on this little ball of this planet spinning around at a great rate? Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? What is God like? How can we know him? Um, is, what is it like? And also, perhaps on a personal level, you know, I wish I could understand these things, the mysteries of, of life. Or even on a more personal level, I wish I could live better. I get tired of myself, my sinful, selfish self. I wish I, I, wish I could change. Is there anything that can change me? Can I be transformed? I wish I had more joy in life, you know. Never, never seemed to be on top for a long while. Is there any, is there any hope? If 
Fortunately, we're not left in the dark, and David will show us there is an answer. There are answers. And David says, he speaks many ways, and he'll, he'll mention two today in this psalm. Firstly, he said, God speaks through creation, through the world, through the sky, through the universe. Without words, look, we read in verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works, the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Glorious sight, amazing. Now, David didn't know anything like we know about the cosmos. But nevertheless, this great picture that he sees before him, thousands of stars. Now, we know that there are well, we know there are millions of billions of, of galaxies. Well, millions of gal- billions of galaxies. Yeah, billions. And it's just incredible. We talk about DNA. If you've done biology, you know if you look down the, the microscope, the electron microscope, you see this, these amino acids that build up this block that make your, you know, what you are, your chromosomes, and it's, it's incredible. Nature is wonderful, isn't it? And then, of course, if you follow these people in Geneva with the Hadron Collider, they're going to smash the atom and they're going to go they're going to show you another world of subatomic particles it goes deeper and deeper and 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 david didn't he didn't know that but he didn't know one thing that they're the work of his hands and it's truly amazing and then he says you know to picture it's just like the sun he says the sun is comes out in the morning like a bridegroom on the david's wedding david's married i see most bridegrooms i know are terrified but that's another story but, uh, you know, you come out on the day of his wedding, he strides across the universe and gives its heat and warmth. Or it's, it's like a runner, like Eric Riddellian chariots of fire, head back, arms pulsing. Sun's like that, giving its light and its energy and its power. And we can't live without it. And uh, it's wonderful. And, and God displays his, his power and his wisdom and, and, and his glory. And... Um, it's wonderful, and it dominates our life. We can't live without it. But David, in one sense, and this is what I want to come on to, verses 7 to 11, there's something more wonderful that God wants to reveal to us about himself because he has spoken with words. He says, um, you know, it's, the heavens are wonderful, but they tell us nothing of his, of his great love. The seas are magnificent, but they don't speak of his love for his people. Nature... The, Creation, the trees, the flowers are wonderful, but they speak nothing of God's great grace by coming to earth as, as he's in the person of his son. They tell us nothing of this. And so the great thing is David says God has spoken not only in his, through the world, but through words. And uh, this is in verses 7 to 11, we'll look at them. And uh, he will reveal himself. Um, and he gives six aspects of, uh, of God's word, like sort of six um, audio speakers, you know, in the sound, in the round sound. He's going to tell us. And Paul says, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, a thousand years later, says, look, he says, all scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God. It's, it's, it's profitable. It's useful for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. In the Old Testament, over 3,808 times the scripture 
says, the Lord says, thus says the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. And um, you see, the Bible doesn't simply breathe out God. That's not what Paul is saying. It does do. Some of the scriptures are dry in many ways. They're, they're, they're not inspiring in one sense, but they're all inspired. That's what he's saying. Not simply that they breathe out God. The essence is God has breathed through his spirit, through the, the minds and hearts of men to inscripturate what he wanted. And this is what we have today. And um, see, this, is not, this doesn't contain the word of God, my friends. This is the word of God. This doesn't become the word of God through your faith or your understanding. This is the word of God. And, and I was preparing this and, and it really struck me how personal this is. It's interesting, actually, that the Hebrew, in the first six verses, he uses the word El, the cosmic God. Now, in verse 7, he moves on to not the powerful one, but the personal one. He changes the very name of God and calls him Yahweh, the one who, the promise-keeping God, the one who loves his people, the one who binds himself to his people, God. And so, really, it struck me that this is, this is God's... God loves you. That's why he gave you this, this book. Whatever else you get, God so loved the world that he first gave his word before he even gave his son. You want to know that? I was in Oxford last week and I was in the New Extension of the Bodleian Library and there's all these wonderful letters and manuscripts from Mark McGandy and the bits of paper from Wilberforce and the, oh, everything. And they're wonderful bits. But none were written for me. Oh, for you, wonderful as they are. Actually, it's all free, folks, you know. But, uh, but, but how much more? The three or four hundred letters I got from my wife when we were engaged, and she was in London and I was in Edinburgh, and every day the postman trekked up, and they were written for me and to me. The great shame is we threw them away, lest any would find them. <laughs> Especially our children. <laughs> Especially the sports page at the last page. But, uh, <laughs> but actually, this is God's love. Whatever you get this morning, God loves you. This is God's word. Whatever else you hear this morning from me, this is God's word. And David, you see, that's why you have to understand this is, this is God's inspired word before you come with a lot of problems. And I've done 50 years studying this book. A del my del joy of my life. And there are many problems in the text. I'm not denying that. But the, the original scripture is given by inspiration, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. I know there's a lot of problems in transmission, etc. Et but this is the word of God. He loves you so much. He's given you this. And David said, let me tell you six. I'm just going to give you six, he says, titles for the scriptures. And then I, he talks about six characteristics of the scriptures. And then he said, I'm going to tell you six benefits for the scriptures. And let's just quickly go through them. He says, first of all, he says, the law of the Lord is, is perfect. Now the word law there, Torah, it doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. It means the, the, the whole instructions of God. The instructions of God. So God is trying to teach you. God is teaching you. How, how, and how we need that to live the life for which we were made. This is the maker's manual for living. There's, no, there's nothing like it. 
And um, he said, it's, per- it's perfect, it's flawless, there's nothing missing, it's comprehensive. It covers every aspect of life, nothing's left out. And he says, wonderful, it revives the soul, the, inner, the real you. Not society, but you, it, it's the only thing that can revive, restore, change, dominate uh, your life and, and transform your life is the word of God. And it does that, it's perfect. Transforms the soul, and nothing else can do it. Let me just give you a few illustrations through church history. Come back if you fall asleep. Come back in a minute. But start with somebody like Augustine. This this is a brilliant man whose impact on the Western world is enormous. He's a, he's a brilliant man. He's born in North Africa, Algeria now, but he's a wild lad. He has a mistress, and he has a child by this mistress. But his mother prays for him. Anyway, one day he's actually in Milan, and he's in Milan, and he hears this little girl um, doing a little Latin ditty. Translated, it means take and read, take and read. And he says the interesting, he said, I took a Bible up that was there, and the the scripture he read, I'll I'll give you a modern translation, and it's this, it's from Romans. Don't participate in wild parties and get drunk or or, uh, or in adultery or immoral living or in fighting, or jealousy. But let the Lord Jesus take control of you. Literally, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. And don't think of ways of indulging your desires. He said it just hit him. He was changed, transformed. His impact on the Western world is enormous. Now, let me take another man. Another man of history. We'll get to modern times in a minute. A man you would heard of, Martin Luther, the great German theologian, but he actually was, as a young man, he's desperate to know God, and he, so he'll become a monk, a good track, I suppose, to become a, to know God, but he couldn't find God, his problem was, he couldn't get right with God, the justice of God, and he knew he wasn't righteous, he used to fast every week, many, many days a week, he, he said many days his confession was six hours, goodness me, he goes to Rome, he's desperate, do anything, he said, I prayed, Every step as I climbed up to the basilica, every step I prayed, and he couldn't get right with God. Because the problem was, God demanded that you're righteous. And he said, I couldn't find this righteousness. Tried everything, praying, fasting, going to roam the lot. And then one day, he says, he said, I I found, he said, the verse from the Psalms. And then he said, I started looking at Romans, and he And then he realized, and let me read what he says. He says, I saw, he says, that the righteousness that God demands is is given as a gift. That's the great thing. And and you've just to receive it by faith, he said. And then he saw in Romans, the just shall live by faith. Just believe that I've done it for you, says God. And Luther says, he said, I felt myself to be reborn. And to have gone through the very gates of paradise. Now, I have many other illustrations. I, I'm going to leave these illustrations because we haven't time. Let me just give one from yesterday. Heather Ford's wedding. I, some of you were there. And um, the best man who was a, a, a minister, he said, let me tell you John's testimony. John, in middle life, thought he would learn, would, would translate Mark from the Greek into English. Now, Mark is, the Greek is not difficult in, in Mark. 
Anyways, but, he, but he's, he's on tour. He, has, he buys the books, and he, re, he reads. He starts trying to translate Mark's Greek into English. And he, I was talking to him afterwards, and he said, uh, this, he said it started off as an academic exercise. And he, went, he said it went incredibly slowly. You know, imagine teaching yourself that Greek. But then at the end, he says, when, I came to the, when we came to the passion of the cross of Jesus, I translated, he translated, the centurion looked up and said, this is the son of God. And he said, I saw it. This is the son of God. And he said, to use Charles Wesley's, not Charles, Don Wesley's expression, my heart was strangely warmed. And he was born again through the word of God. Now, I'm sure many of you in this room could say the same. You know, you have been born not, of, as Peter says, of uh, perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed of, of God, which lives and endures forever. And that's how we're brought to life. And, and we're called to live by the word of God every day. Jesus says, you don't live by bread alone. You've all had your breakfast. Well, you've got to... Uh, you need the word of God every day. But there's a song we don't sing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. But it's not true at all. That him, I'm sorry. You know that every day is not sweeter than the day before. Some days are horrible. Some days are hellish. Some days are miserable, aren't they? And you're a Christian. I'm not denying that. You wonder what on earth has happened. That's why you need the word of God to revive you. If you didn't, if you didn't have days like this, you wouldn't need the word of God. But you need that to restore you. He restoreth my soul. How does he do it? Through the word of God. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you have heard this. One of my great heroes is a man called Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in the last, well, in the last century. Now, before then. But um, anyway, he's preaching to uh, 10,000 people in Surrey Memorial Hall. And somebody in the gallery says, fire, fire, the gallery is falling. One Sunday morning, like this. Well, the people panic. Seven of them are killed as they dash for the doors or the the stairs. Well, he's just ever said, he goes to his room, he collapses. For 10 days, he's in tears and doubts and nightmares. The press harangue him and attack him. And then one day, he says, then the word of God came. And this verse, this was verse was opposite, was right for him. And it, just a shaft of light came to this verse. He said, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. And he said, at that moment, my confidence was restored. And he said, I dropped on my knees and he said, oh Lord, it doesn't matter what happens or what becomes of Spurgeon or his name, as long as the name of Jesus is exalted and praised. And light came and life came. He was restored and he was back again to his old self. Now you could testify again. I could, you could testify. The word of God has come. You've read it. You think, ah. Whatever it is. You know, you've sinned, you've done terrible things, and you're going to the. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Isn't even this week I've gone, I've said, done things I'm wrong or terrible, and I've gone to that verse and just 
drawn in and you're restored again. And we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Isn't that true? It's the word of God restores our soul. It revives our soul. And um, you see, you have to have this. You have to read the scriptures. not as an academic exercise. But you've got to digest it like food. And um, Jesus, son of God, he fed on the word. He himself fed on it. He knew it off by heart, a lot of it. And he believed it to be the word of God, inspired word of God. Now, you're not cleverer than Jesus. Jesus says, look, the scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be altered. He's talking about the Old Testament. He says, look, he came to, I said, I've come to fulfill the law. I tell the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, from the scriptures, will pass away by any means, will disappear from the law until all is accomplished. It is the word of God. And he said actually to his disciples, that's the Old Testament, he said to his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth and he will bring back to your remembrance the things I've said to you. So when, the, so see, he came to, he came to die and God sent him. It's not good having this amazing truth of the gospel of God unless it's down for every generation. So God in his grace not only comes to die in your place, he ensures that in scripture the record of it is kept for every generation. That's why there's always a fight over scripture. It's always the only battle really. See, many of you struggle with scripture because I don't approve of that, I don't like that. I don't like bits in it, I'm sorry. So I'm not I try and change it with a fancy exegesis. No, no. The word of God is a hammer. I must get off track. Sorry. I'm, let's get back to the scripture. See, the, all I'm saying is Jesus believed it was the word of God. The Old and the New Testament. And that's where we start. Once you get that, you need the, you need the Holy Spirit to confirm that in your heart. Then you start living. Anyway, the second thing. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The word statutes really mean the testimony of God. God giving witness to, to, his, to who he is and what he, is, what he, what he wants. And he says the, the statutes are trustworthy. They are sure. You go to the British Library. British Library. There are 14 million books and, and manuscripts. But only one is trustworthy, my friend. Only one you can totally trust for your life, the Word of God. It's the only one. And the great thing, he says, it makes wiser simple. Now, I was reading this. One of the commentators says, it, it comes from the Hebrew mean open. The foolish man is open. I have an open mind. That's where a foolish man is. You know, well, God's word to you is close it. You know, I... You let anything, you let anything into your mind. The fool lets anything into his mind. I mean, you have to be discerning what you allow into your mind. Don't let any garbage or excrement get in your mind, my friends. You have to keep out that stuff. You see, this, that's why Psalm 1 is what Psalm 1, to get this right, you've got to make sure, you know, where you live. And he said, blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the... Way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. 
If you allow yourself to live in the constant atmosphere that people are rubbish and mock the Bible, have no, don't, worry, don't worry, you'll have a desperate time following Christ. No, no, you have to avoid these people, says the psalmist. The fool keeps with them. The fool says, I can go to any movie I like. I can read any book I like. I can watch anything on the television I like. The Bible says, you fool. If you let that stuff in your mind, you'll have a real job getting rid of it, my friends. You're a fool. You need a padlock on your mind, my friend. You need to walk away from these things. Turn it off. You're not a film critic. Don't even try. Don't allow your, your brain to be filled with that stuff. You need discernment. You need wisdom. Where are we going to get wisdom from? Well, let me say this. You don't get wisdom from degrees. I'm not against degrees. I have a couple of what they're worth, you know. You don't get wisdom from PhDs. And if you're doing one, finish it. (laughs) And I'm not against that. I'm absolutely for education. But wisdom does not come from education. Or going to university. We all can testify some of the biggest fools we ever met when we met at university. (laughs) And all the people said, Amen, yes. But make sure your kids get there if they can. (laughs) But isn't it true? Where do you get wisdom? From the Word of God. You know, some of the wisest people I've ever met left school at 12 and 13. People in my journey... And they had to leave school, you know, my mother's and father's generation. And yet, for wisdom of living, they were just superb. Why? Because the word of God makes wise the simple. And that's why Peter says, you know, you know, you have to, you have to desire it. You know, like newborn babes, they crave pure spiritual milk. So you may, so you crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow. You can't grow without eating. That's why the church can be filled with dwarfs or babies. This is not an orphanage, my friends. It's meant to be a place where we grow. It's not just a holding station for heaven. We're meant to grow as human beings. How do you grow? By the word of God. Done and believed and obeyed. That's how it works. It's not rocket science. Quickly, the precepts are right giving joy to the heart. The precepts means absolute truth, statutes of the Lord, not suggestions or hints or ideas. No, he's talking about absolute truth. And they're right as opposed to wrong. There is a right way to live. Your word is a, a path to my feet, a light to my, uh, light to my path, isn't it true? And this is how we are to navigate how are we to live? If you've ever been hiking and you get lost on the moors, you know, and, and you, you need how to live. How are we to live? How are we to navigate through the word of God? And it, it says, that's, it, it gives joy. It's right. And it gives joy to the heart. Isn't it miserable? Why is it many Christians are sad? You know, there's a, there's a condition. And some of you are affected by it. And I sympathize. It's called sad, seasonal uh, affective disorders. Sad. You know, but when the autumn comes, the winter comes, you say, here we go again, the British winter. And you know, you're desperate. It affects your spirit. You feel depressed. Some people get extra strong lighting in the house. I understand it. 
But it's, why are many Christians sad and miserable? I tell you why, because they don't get the word of God into them. That's what it's about, my friends. They don't obey the word of God. It's very simple. If you don't eat, you'll be miserable. I mean, if you fa- me and Neil, I remember we fasted for 10 days. I thought it was going to fade away at then. Gee whiz. I think his wife thought she was going to lose him. But, <laughs> but you know, if you fast a lot, you get slightly miserable. I'm telling you that just as a... <laughs> well, he says, how do you get joy? You get joy by reading and obeying the word of God. Jeremiah says, your word, uh, I ate your word and... and you know, I, I ate it and in my, I, I was filled with joy. And he said, these words were my joy and my heart's delight. John says, I have written these things to you that your joy may be full. Remember when that African guy going back to Ethiopia met Philip in the desert and says, what does Isaiah, this Isaiah 53, chapter 53 And he explained to him, and then he baptized him. And he says, he went on his way rejoicing. If you understand the word and do it, it leads to joy. Quickly, he says, next one. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The word is, actually the commands is not plural in the Hebrew, it's singular. It means the command, the whole lot. The sum total of, of God's word what God requires of you is, is, is sovereign, non-optional demands, decrees. They're radiant, they're clear, they're pure, they're clean, he says. Transparent, easily understood. They give clear directions for life. You see, you remember when Jesus is teaching, he says to the Jewish people, he keeps saying to them, you know, um, have you not read? Have you not understood the scriptures? In other words, they're clear enough. He expects them, his people to understand them. And um, they're clear. What he says, giving light to the eyes. Like a, you see it. <laughs> you get it. You have the mind of Christ. You, son, you remember when Jonathan, the king, the, the king Saul's son, they're, they're out fighting. And the, the army's been told to fast. But Jonathan didn't know that. Anyway, Jonathan comes along. And he, if, he's, he's hungry as well. He, he finds this honeycomb. Before the days of granulated sugar, this you know, this is this is the the source of sweetness. And he sticks his staff in. He says, and he lifts this honey up. And I bet he ought, it hit the whole lot. Blow the stings. And he and he and he, and he, hit, he ate them. And it says of him, his eyes were brightened. And he says, I think it's translated, his strength was renewed. That's it, isn't it? When the word of God comes, see it. You're a strength. I can do it. I'm on the right track. And, um, and then it says, the fear of the Lord. The, the scriptures come in an awesome way to us. But they endure forever. See, as we read them, it's not a flippant thing that we read them and we say, well, I've done it and tick the box. No, no. We come with a sense of reverence. This is God's word. We read it with fear. And also, this is not to be trifled with a joked about. This is the inspired word of God. I go to Oxford a lot, and I go on Broad Street, and I see men who died for the word of God. I go to Amersham, I see a plinth, 
and I see the plinth of the Lollards who died just that this book may be in English. So I come with a sense of fear and respect and love for this word. He says, the fear of the Lord is pure. It, it, it creates in us an attitude of worship as we read it. And it produces fear and reverence in us. And he says, because the word of the Lord is pure, it endures, it endures forever. It never goes out of date. Now, I know we have new translations, but the word of God never goes out of date. Because it's pure. See, that which is tainted by sin is tainted by death. But there's no taint of sin in the Bible. So it's never going to go out of date. It's fit and suitable for everyone, for every generation. And finally he says, the ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Ordinances mean the judgments of God, the rulings of God. The judge has recorded in his word what he wants to hear. And uh, how we shall live each day. And so we come to it. And they're sure. In this age of postmodernity and relativity, can we trust anything? Yes, you can trust the word of God. <laughs> what, is it, what it says about any subject, it is totally trustworthy and reliable. And that's what he says. If you want to live a righteous life, follow this book. If you want to live a righteous, godly, wholesome, happy, joyful life, Follow this book. In fact, it's all you need. In fact, John, the apostle, says at the end, he says, if anyone adds to this and anything to it, God will add to him the plagues of this book. The most valuable thing we have. We were in Oxford, and they sold this book in Blackwell's. I said, Christine, look at this. A, a folio of Shakespeare. How much is it? She said, it's cheap. 85,000. She said, not this morning. <laughs> but as it, this is more precious than gold, even much pure gold. There's no, there's no real estate more precious than this. In fact, you remember when the queen was crowned? I remember as a young boy watching the coronation and the archbishop put the, as the crowns put on her head, he gave her the Bible. And he says, we present to you this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the very oracles of God. And I think actually she believed it. And we praise God for her. And this is it. Now I haven't time to give the rest. Just give the headings. It's the most greatest. It'll give you the greatest pleasure. Sweeter than honey. Than the honey from the corn. It's our greatest protection. By them is your servant. One, it's our greatest provider and keeping there the great reward. It's our greatest uh, purifier who can discern his errors, forgive my hidden faults, keep my uh, secret sins, secret, secret servant from willful sins. May these not rule over me. Bunyan said, this, this book, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. So my friends, my time is gone. What's stopping you? What's hindering you from reading every day? What's hindering you? Little story. I'll try it in the first morning, first service. Richard Harris, the film star, now a wild Irishman, 
He lives in America. One day, he comes back home to Ireland. Hires a car from the airport. And he has a, a, a gear stick, not automatic. He's not used to a gear stick. Anyway, hires the car. He drives out the airport. He comes to a traffic light. He's quite a wild man if you've never seen his films. It's in his biography. Well, he comes to his traffic lights and he could not find a gear. And the traffic lights went red, amber, green. Red, amber, green. And he couldn't find this blessed gear. <laughs> and you can imagine it's getting, the air is getting bluer. Red, amber, green. Red, amber, green. And there's a tap on the windscreen, and he winds it down. And this Irishman said, Sir, were you waiting for a particular shade of green? (laughs) (laughs) My friends, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you want to live the life you were meant to live? It's here. Do you want reviving a life with God? It's here. Do you want joy through all the seasons of life? It's here. Do you want wisdom? It's here. Do you want to know God? It's here. We have to read it every day. What are you waiting for? This is the Word of God. Read it, digest it, and do it. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you.